We're so honored tonight to have with us, not, not a guest, but a friend, uh, a friend to Hope, a friend to me personally, uh, a, a pastor in this house, uh, and, and doing amazing work. We, Pastor, pastor Guillermo Palacios and his wife Brenda and family, uh, we got to know each other about two years ago. Two years ago, I think it was. We were, we were in a unique place at Hope. We were recognizing that we had people coming to our services that didn't speak English. And of all the languages that are spoken at Hope, one of the languages that were not spoken was Espanol. And we were like, God, what do we do with that? And uh, through a good friend of mine, he says, you need to talk to this young man named Guillermo. And we instantly struck off a friendship. And uh, he's my parking lot buddy. We stand out there and uh, greet people, do ministry together. And as we were gathering for this encounter this, this year, I knew I wanted his voice to be the Saturday night voice to come and speak the word to us. Would you put your hands together tonight? Welcome, Pastor Guillermo Palacios to um, Hope Church. We're going to get him set up here. Bless you, man. Have fun. the Lord. What a, what a powerful devotional this that you guys uh, were able to give the Lord. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you all. Uh, Pastor Mike, thank you. I feel very privileged um, to be here. I, I felt the eternal pre- pressure of preaching for a man like Mike, right? Mike tells me about all of his stories, ministerial stories that started before I was born. And, sorry, Mike. Sorry to put you out there. And so as I... Sorry, Mike. And I listened to his stories and how God has been so good to him. And I think to myself, preaching here is going to be such, an, such a joy, but such a huge responsibility. Not that it's not anywhere else, but I'm, I'm grateful. Um, today, I want to just excuse my wife. My wife normally would have came with me, um, but she's a little bit under the weather. But my daughter is here, and so I'm really happy that she's here. Yes, that's right. All right. And so I wanted to take a moment before I entered into the sermon. Mike told me that I had two hours for today's sermon. So I'm going to. Why are you guys laughing? So so I want to um, I want to just thank everybody for the encouragement, the love, the hospitality that you guys have um, that have rendered Rock of Refuge. We are the Spanish church that comes in a little bit after you guys. Um, and so if you didn't leave the mess, we probably did, right? So like, how'd this get here? And it was probably us. And if you feel there's like an extra level of anointing, chances are that we're partnering up and we're bringing the house down, right? And so we're, we're very happy about that. I do want to make a couple of honorable mentions. Um, I, I just thank everybody, everybody, everybody for everything that they've done. But Pastor Mike, I cannot, I cannot speak um, enough about him. Um, I am just glad that on a personal level, on a ministerial level, I've been able to encounter um, such a man of God, such passion for growing churches, right? And so would you help me give it up for Pastor Mike today? 15 years of ministry here at Hope is a big deal. Uh, Justin, Dave, his family, Tim, Heather, just you guys have made um, our stay here so, so, um, so welcoming. And I'm, I'm glad for it. But I want to get into the word. You guys didn't uh, come to hear me say thank you, right? You guys came to hear a word from the Lord. Why don't you stand before your feet? Let's stand up. And let's read the word in the book of Joshua. Um, I'm very excited for what the Lord has given you. Since the, the day and the moment that God has given me this opportunity, I've already known and heard God's voice over this house. And today, I have a very strong prophetic word from the Lord for this house. There are some words that are 
that are for now and for later. There are some words that are for this generation and for the next generation. But what God is bringing to hope today, this Saturday, God is going to bring it for you right now. So this word, I promise you, this is not a motivational word. This is a God-given word that is going to challenge you for the next step of your life and for the next, next life or the next stage of hope's life. Go with me, please, to the book of Joshua, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to break all of the rules of, of sermon exposition, and I'm only supposed to read three verses, but I'm going to read six. And I want to just establish the story. This is a very important story, and I want to explain it. Joshua chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, it says, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out to Shithim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all of the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp. And commanded the people, this is the commandment, the first one. As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. There's always that asterisk, right? Verse 4 is the asterisk. It says, yet there shall be a distance between you and it. And if, if we're unclear of what distance means, then it says about 2,000 cubits in length. And if that's not clear enough, he says, do not come near it. There are three separate ways that the Lord says, do not come close. Three different ways. Verse 5. Sorry, uh, do not draw near it. In order that you may know the way that you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Verse 5. Then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourself. That's big, right? Consecrate yourself. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, take up the ark of the covenant and pass before the people. So they took up the ark of the covenant and went before the people. Today I want to speak on encounters before the promise. Encounters before the promise. Just why don't you just bow your head with me for just a moment and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart today. Lord, today we gather before you, Lord, and we just thank you for your mercy, your goodness, your 15 years of your eternal, unmovable eye over this place, your strong, unmovable hand over this house, Lord God. You are the unmovable force and the unstoppable object, Lord, and you've held hope 15 years, Lord God. In this very same spirit, Lord God, a spirit of worship, a spirit of giving you glory and of letting you be known, Lord God. We ask today, Lord God, that you speak to our hearts, those that are going to be watching this sermon later, Lord. Speak to them. Let this word, Lord God, cut through them, Lord, and give them the commitment this word demands, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated today. Praise the name of the Lord. There's probably going to be one or two moments during this sermon, and if the booth doesn't mind, I like to move around a little bit, so I apologize. I probably should have let you guys know um, early on. It's the, it's the Latino in me. 
Um, yep, and if you hear me praise the Lord in Spanish, again, it's the Latino in me. I was going to start praising in Spanish there for just a moment, and I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. English, English. There is, there is an error that a lot of the preachers of our generation, and I'm 45, by the way, so I'm, I'm speaking about a different generation. So there's, a, there's an error that a lot of the preachers in our generation made as we were growing up. And we used to preach, or we used to hear preachings about the desert. How many of you guys ever heard a preaching about the desert before in your walk with Christ, right? How many of you guys have ever heard a sermon about, um, about being on the potter's wheel, right? Anybody heard a sermon about that, right? And so generally, for the most part, those sermons become so popular that we believe that our eternal place is in the desert, all right? We believe that our eternal place is on the potter's wheel, right? We, we just were there because the sermons that they preached to us, they just told us this is where transformation happens. But what usually doesn't happen is we never hear about what happens once transformation is done and God now wants to surrender you into the real world with the skills, the resources, and the abilities that you gained in the potter's wheel, right? And that you also gained inside of the desert. I want to preach about that because there's something that reminded me, or the Holy Spirit reminded me about the story about the prodigal son. The Bible says that the prodigal son asked for what was his and a few days, listen to this, a few days later, he then left. You'll never hear that there was a, a fatherly or pastoral or priestly encounter between the son and the father. You'll just see the son ask for what was his and the father surrender it to him. So usually we, we kind of avoid those. And, and, and I've had these conversations with my kids. I've had these conversations with other people where before we enter into a promised land, Come, let us sit, let us talk before you go in. Let you not mess it up. You guys with me today? I want you to take, I want you to go with me to the book of Deuteronomy. I want to establish this really quick um, so that you guys have a, a general concept and a general feel about um, what we're really aiming for today. Take a look at the book of Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book in the Bible, chapter 8. I want you to look at verse 2. I want you to take a look at verse 2 for me. It says, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. All right, so I want you to, let's establish number one, even though they were in the wilderness, and Hebrews says that they stood there 40 years due to unbelief, even though they had unbelief, God still guided them. But we still want to know what the purpose of God guiding them 40 years was for, right? So the following, the following sentences gives us a good, a, a, a good illustration of what it was for. It says that he may, here we go, number one, that he may humble you. Yeah. Number two, that he may test you to know what's in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So usually I start saying to myself, okay, so what's the purpose of the desert? And I find the purpose of a desert inside of Deuteronomy, it's to humble us, it's to test us, to see before we go in, we've already reached, we've already received ordinances from the Lord, instructions from the Lord. And once we receive these instructions from the Lord, once we receive these ordinances from the Lord, what comes next? It's not the promise, it's the desert. It's a desert, it's a quiet place. So I, I hear a lot of people, they're like, hey, the Lord spoke to me. And in my head, I'm like, ooh, the desert's next. 
the desert's next. Now, let me explain the, let me explain the general uh, gist of what a desert is. Before you go into a desert, there is something that you will receive. The first thing that you will receive when you go into a desert is a promise. You will receive a promise before you go into a desert. Guys, I'm already preaching. If you're taking notes, it's a good time. Hear carefully. Before you go into a desert, you will receive a promise. No one goes into the desert without a promise. It is the word of hope that keeps you alive during the desert. Let me, give you, let me give you two really quick things. So, so we want to identify what, it, how do I know I'm in the desert, right? Let's identify it really quick. Let me give you two really quick points that tell us and that teach us how we know that we're in the desert. You guys ready for this? Number one, when the Lord speaks and he only speaks about the promise and never the problem. When the Lord speaks about the promise and never the problem. Your car could have broken down and God is still saying, but I have great plans for you. you anybody go through that experience before, right? The, the fridge is empty, but God is speaking about the promise and not the problem you have. Unemployment touched you, but God's not talking about unemployment. He's talking about the promise. Right, And so even though we're going through these moments in our lives and God doesn't speak about the problem, God is speaking to us about the promise. I want you to understand that you're in the desert, but rule number one, know that before you went into the desert, you already received a promise. All right? Because the promise is what keeps you, again, a promise is what keeps you from going backwards. So while you're in the desert and you're suffering calamity and you're suffering these, these, these unbelievable humiliations and this crushing from the Lord, what the Lord doesn't speak to you about is what's going on. He just keeps telling you, keep moving forward. Don't look back. Remember the promise that I gave you. It's the promise that keeps you moving forward, not my word about your problem. And God starts speaking about your promise. So how do I know that I'm in my desert? Number one, when God speaks more to me about my promise and he doesn't speak to me about my problem. I remember there was a time where I was like, Lord, save my son. Lord, save my son. And God would say, I'm going to do great things. I'm like, I'm not interested in what you're going to do. I need you to do something now. And I, I said, God, save my son. And God, touch my son. And I need you to touch my son. And I need you to heal my son. And I need you to save my son. And God would never speak to me about the problem. God would speak to me about the promise. And then I understood he's going through a desert. So let me mind my own business. You guys with me on this? Number two, number two, how do I know that I'm going through the desert? This is very simple, guys, and I want you guys, let's just be very practical about this one. If God speaks, he'll speak about the promise, not the problem. But there are moments where God says absolutely nothing. How many of you guys ever heard the eternal silence of heaven? It's okay to say me. doesn't make you less spiritual. It actually, believe it or not, it, you, you can, yeah, thank you very much. All right? It's, it's not hearing the voice. How many of you guys, I remember we, we had a moment in my, in my marriage where we were going through this tough time and, and this trial and this, this tribulation, and we started to fast, and we started to pray, and we, we anointed the house, right? And we get, like, really uber spiritual, right? When we're going through something and we don't hear God's, right, God's voice, we start confessing sins that we never committed. We're like, well, just in case, I might have thought it. Let me just 
confess it, right? Lord, forgive me for wanting my mother-in-law, you know. Oh, Lord. Right? And this is, yeah, good one. All right. God heard you. Let's just, let's leave it at that. Right? And so, and so we start confessing sins that we probably have never even committed. And I'll give you even this one. We start to anoint our house with oil day and night. We fast for seven days. We fast for 12 days. And we start asking the Lord, I need you to speak to me. And God stays silent. Then we question our methods. We question if fasting really works. We question if prayer really works. We, press, we question whether or not we're even worthy of being before the Lord because we're like, God, I'm praying, I'm fasting, I'm seeking, I'm coming to church, I'm giving my tithes, I'm being generous, I'm coming to the pantry, I'm serving, I'm here early, I'm here late, I'm doing the sound booth, I'm here on stage, I'm doing, and God, I don't hear your voice. Allow me to give you point number two. You are in a desert. You're in a desert, and I'm going to tell you how. The Bible says in the book of Deuteronomy that the Lord keeps us in a desert for testing. You got to hear carefully because whenever there is a classroom, in a classroom there is a teacher, and if there is a teacher, then there is a student, and if there is a student, there is a course, and if there is a course, at the end of the course, there is a test, and whenever there's a test the teacher never speaks whenever the teacher is getting ready right because how many of you guys have been in class and you start asking the lord god i need you i need you can can you do and the lord is saying keep quiet you got two more minutes to this test right and you start asking the lord god but why is it that you don't hear me and god is saying hey listen what you're going through is a testing See, because God doesn't have to speak because before the desert, he already spoke. You guys with me today? All right. Hear carefully. There's a lot of differences in these two stories, and I want you to understand the differences between these two stories. And the stories, number one, is the story with Moses and the Red Sea, and then there's Joshua with the Jordan River. I want to just make this really brief distinction because sometimes the desert can seem like this arbitrary place that we just go through because we're Christians and God is just mean, right? The same thing he can teach us in the desert. He can teach us at a table, right? With a bunch. It just doesn't, and sometimes we're like, well, it doesn't make sense. But when we go into a desert, we go into a desert ignorant of a certain topic. And when we come out of this desert, we come out understanding the reason why we went in in the first place. And so we look different going in and we look different coming out, We never look the same. We never look the same. And if you hear people say that they look the same when they went in the desert and they look the same when they came out of the desert, I promise you they'll repeat that very same class again next year. It just, it happens. Because you have to look different. I want to give you just a couple of different, uh, um, different perspectives of when Moses was in front of the Red Sea and then when, when, when Joshua was in front of the, the Jordan River, there's a couple of differences. Number one, just two really quick differences. Number one, Israel was being delivered from slavery. So they had this slavery mentality going into the desert. Coming out of the desert, they felt worthy of having a promised land. It's just a different mentality. The second thing is, which is one of my favorite, the second thing is, is that when Moses stands before the, the, the Red Sea, it's only Moses and a rod. But when they're coming out of the desert, it's now Levitical priest and an, ar- and an ark. So it's not just an, a, a rod and one man. Now it's a developed group of people coming out of the desert. This is God's work. 
This is something that only God can do. So now we spoke about these, these couple things, understanding them. I just have three really good points, really brief points to give you today. And I want to just take this a little bit slow because I feel like this is what, this is why God brought me here today. I want you to go to Joshua chapter 3. I want you to take a look at this in your, in your Bibles. And we're going to stay in Joshua chapter 3. So I'll only make mention of the verses. Number one, uh, verse 3, it says, Yet there shall be distance between you and it. Speaking about the, the ark of the covenant, where the presence of God is at. And then it says, about 2,000 cubits in length. This is half a mile. That's what 2,000 cubits are. It's half a mile. So the next time you drive on 45 and you see that your exit is half a mile away, then that's 2,000 cubits. And you'll remember this word. It says about 2,000 cubits in length, and then it says, do not come near it. I want you to really, I, want, I really want you to capture this because I kept saying to myself, I remember when I was young in Bible school, from the moment that I had rationale and I had a lucid mind and I was able to understand Bible scriptures, it was always said to us what, what the book of James says to us, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. And then I started remembering youth class and, and my youth pastors and they said, well, the book of Hebrews says, draw near to the throne of grace. And so, so I started remembering, well, when I, when I was in, in, in seminary, I remember that, that they told us that Matthew said, come all to me who are labored and heavy burdened. And the Bible, and the Bible is riddled, riddled scripture after scripture after scripture that say, hey, I want you to draw near. If you're tired, draw near. If you're exhausted, draw near. If you're depressed, draw near. If you're unemployed, draw near. If you need a miracle, draw near. But don't just draw near anywhere. Draw near to the throne of grace. I was like, man, this is amazing. But for the first time in the scriptures, I read that God is saying, hey, don't come close. Well, wait a minute. So is this one of those verses where the Bible starts fighting with each other? That it's uh, about who's, who's the better author? Right? About who, who, who wrote it first? Is, is that the concept or the biblical uh, theological principle I should, right? Is this one of those, those, those moments where because this was written in this perspective and, and this, like, which one comes first? But then I realized, well, it's the same God, same author. So they can't fight with each other. See, the Holy Spirit's not like us. We fight with each other. We fight with ourselves, right? How many of you guys debated 10 times, 15 times what you guys wear to work? We fight with ourselves. We debate with ourselves. The Holy Spirit doesn't debate with himself. What he means, he says, and what he said, he means. Draw near. And now he's like, hey, how about you don't draw near? And if you don't understand don't draw near, how about I explain it this way? 2,000 cubits. And if you don't understand that, let me give you a third way. And the third way is don't come close. Like, wait, wait. Does that not mess with your theology for a moment? Because I didn't write this. I'm just, I'm just the invited guest. I, I just, hello, this is what the Bible says. I didn't say it. Let me give you another one. Jeremiah says the following, you will see me and you will find me. 
This is what Jeremiah says. I'll give you another one. Matthew says, seek the Lord while he can be, he can be found. And then one of the very first, one of the very first interactions that God has with his presence, he says, hey, don't come close. And I started looking at context. I started looking at context. Because for the first time in scripture, scripture says, do not come around this altar. I remember when I was younger, I remember that um, Saturdays, Saturday, how many of you guys remember Saturday morning cartoons? Some of you guys won't remember Saturday morning cartoons. Some of you guys will remember Cartoon Planet, uh, Cartoon Channel. We never had Cartoon Channel. Yeah, Saturday morning, we knew that at 12 o'clock, Saturday morning cartoons was over. How many of you guys remember that, those days? All right. And the over 30 say amen? Amen. amen. I remember that at 10 o'clock on Channel 5, on Fox 5, if that was the channel that was out in New York, um, wrestling would come on from 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock. I was a big wrestling fan when I was younger. And I, I absolutely loved wrestling. I thought it was real. Um, I, I know better now. Right? I thought it was real. <clears throat> I thought it was amazing. Um, I used to love Hulk Hogan when Hulk Hogan would just run down to the middle of the aisle, just rip his shirt off and just do all this stuff and, and this, right, just all of that. And, and I remember that I loved watching wrestling at 10 o'clock. But I remember that my mom would say at 11, it's time to go to the store because after we would go to the store, we would go to church to clean. And so we would go to the church to clean. The church was kind of structured like this where I grew up. And it was long and there was nobody there. And my mom would clean the restrooms. And while she was cleaning the restroom, I was walking down the aisles of the church thinking that I was Hulk Hogan on the altar doing this to a, a, an audience of none, right? And so wrestling impacted my life back then. That's a whole other story. And I remember that when we would go out to shop, my mom would buy laces um, to sew and I remember my mom would always tell me every Saturday religiously. Um, there wasn't a Saturday that she wouldn't tell us this. She would put her teeth um, together and she would speak through her teeth. And this is what it would sound. She would go like this. And she would say, I'm not going to tell you. Right? She was, Moms, did you guys still do that? Right? You threaten your kids like that? No? All right. So my mom would, would tell us, I'm not going to tell you more than once. Right? When I look, you better be there. Right? Anybody's mom? Just my mom? No? All right. If your mom is here and you're kind of afraid to say amen, just say hallelujah. <laughs> and I would, my mom would tell us, if, if for whatever reason, if for whatever reason, I look and you're not there, when we get home, that's right, come on, help me finish this. When we get home, you're gonna, you got it, right? And then she would say, don't ask me for anything because I don't have money. So, right, you'll, you learn once, right? You only need to learn once. It's like, well, how are you going to buy things? And then, right, and then that's where the, the hand back here, you get the imprint in the back of your head, right? And it's like, don't ask questions you shouldn't ask. Right? And so, so I remember that these were the rules. And then when we would go inside of the store, when we go inside of the store, my mom would just look at me. And there was this eternal look that would go through your soul. And that look that went right through your soul, it would remind you of the conversation they had at the house. 
And so while we're shopping, my mom is pushing a cart, and my, my hand is on the cart. And if my hand let the, the cart go for some reason, I don't know how, she would turn around and look like she knew. Like there was this mystical, magical bell that would tell her, ring, ring, he took his hand off the cart, and she would turn around and look, and lo and behold, my hand was off the cart. But there was this obedience while I was in that, in that supermarket. But when it was time for us to go and pay, my mom would start taking out the groceries. And as she would start taking out the groceries and the laces and all these other things, she would start taking them out. There was something that would happen. I would see the door. And by the door, there was a little horse that all it required was 25 cents. You ride. You would put the quarter in there, jump on the horse, and you would start rocking back and forth until mom was done. What was the problem? The problem was that while we were going through the supermarket, we understood what the rules were. But just about time, before we left the supermarket, all bets were off. And it reminded me of how we are when we're in the desert. We fast, we pray, we seek. He is God. It is the, the cloud before us in the day. It is the, the pillar of fire at night who guide us, right? It's, it's all of these, these scriptural things, and we're like, God, you, you know, you are in the midst of my desert. You are God. But as soon as we're about to receive the promise, we forget. We forget everything that we've gone through. We forget all of the lessons that we've learned. We forget all of the rules that God has given us. And God is telling the people here, he's like, hey, don't come close. I'm going to tell you why. Because familiarity breeds contempt. Because while we were in the desert, I was your God. There's a big possibility that when you see the promised land, you'll forget that I'm God and you'll want to walk next to me. Or you'll want to walk before me. And I need you to continue to walk after me. Don't get too close and think that because you got to the promised land, that all bets are off. Hmm. See, when we leave the promised land, when we get into the promised land and we leave the desert, miraculously, it's like this, like a snap of the finger, we become unteachable. We lack humility as soon as we get into the promised land because we feel like we made it. We lose reverence. What else do we do? We forget how to be grateful. We forget our small beginnings. And because we're bigger now, the presence can wait. And God says, hey, let there be this distance between us, the same distance there was in the desert. Let there be that same distance in the promised land. Don't forget it. What else do we forget? We start to think that our strengths are better than having the Lord's strength because we made it. Let me give you a Bible verse, and I didn't give this to Tim, but let me give you a Bible verse that will keep things in perspective. And I always like, my wife every now and again, God bless her, she always gives me this verse and reminds me. She always reminds me, God, there's this nucleus between my wife and I that whenever I, I ask her, hey, how would I preach? She'll always say 1 Corinthians 4.7, 1 Corinthians 4.7. If you don't know 1 Corinthians 4.7, we're going to learn 1 Corinthians 4.7. You guys ready? 1 Corinthians 4.7, Tim. This is what it says. It says, for 
Who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Keeps you, keeps you kind of in perspective, right? Keeps you kind of in perspective. Keeps you a little bit humble, right? Keeps you a little bit, hey, hey, remember God used you in, God, oh, God used you? Okay, remember that it was never your anointing. Remember that it was his calling. Are you guys with me? So I want to I wanna put this in perspective so that you have an, an idea, excuse me, so that you have an idea of how this, this kind of unfolds. I want you to take a shirt over to a dry cleaner and then go to a party. And when you go to this party, the dry cleaner owner has your shirt on and is receiving Receiving compliments with your shirt. It's like, why do you have my shirt on and are receiving praises for what I gave you to take care of? That's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, listen, so in the desert, we're all God grow us. God help us. God bless us. God give us. God multiply us. God allow us. But see, the thing about it is, is that we're not always going to be in this very situation. Always. We'll have a problem with the parking lot. We'll have a problem with seating. We'll have a problem with daycare. We'll have too many people that we'll have to build. But when it happens, remember that he goes before you. You see, there's these, there's these warnings before you go into the promised land because there have been more people that die in the promised land than people that die in the desert. I'm telling you, you got to hear me. There's 20 years of ministry. I've seen more people die in abundance than they have of lack. It's like, what? How? How do you die? How do you stop flourishing in a moment in a place of abundance? Really easy. The day that we believe that we are sovereign. The day we do something like David did. David said, hey, you know what? I think I'm going to build a brand new car. And I'm going to go and get the ark. And I'm going I'm to go give reverence to that ark because that ark carried on the shoulders of four Levites is not enough. Let me do God a favor. <laughs> no, don't do God favors. Keep God at a distance and say you are God and God alone. And you stand with no one. You have no equal. You have no competition. There is no one like you. And before there was time, you were already eternal. And there's this, there's this thing that happens when we start reaching that promised land, right? When we reach that promised land, we're like, oh, look at us. We made it. Look at us. We're big. And we have this false sense of humility when we start talking about our small beginnings because in reality, we want to kind of just show off our grandeur. I want you to remember that above all things, God stands alone. I'm just giving you guys a couple of pointers. Encounters before a promise. Because if you don't hear, if you don't hear the dangers of what the promised land can bring, you will die in the promised land like many others have. I don't know if you've ever seen a ministry that in the, in the height of the ministry, suddenly you don't see them. They died in the promised land. You hear them preaching great messages, great and powerful messages, and they move a, a stadium, an audience of 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 people, and before you know it, they suddenly vanish because they died in the promised land. 
they thought for some reason God and them were equal. And God says, let me tell you not once, not twice. Let me tell you three different ways. Stay back half a mile. Don't get close. And when you get into the desert, stay back half a mile. Don't get close. It's not that you don't get close to the Lord. It's that you keep him in a higher place and you keep your ego in a lower place. Can I keep going? I want you to take a look at verse 5 with me. This is the second item. I feel the Holy Spirit in this place. It's beautiful. I want you to go with me in Joshua chapter 3 verse 5. It says, then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourself. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders amongst you. There's this whole I don't know, especially amongst Pentecostals, we have this, you know, what is consecrate ourselves? And we take it sometimes to these extremes and we, we just like, we, we don't know what our theology really means. And we want to do so much, so many favors for the Lord. Consecrate yourself. Let me give you a couple of, let me just give you eight or seven brief bullets on what consecration means. Number one, consecrate means to set apart for God's purpose. Number two. Maintaining ourselves in holiness. Number three, transformational living. Transformational living. I'm going to explain that in just a second because I want this. See, whoever does not believe in transformational living eventually will become unteachable. Because we are forever transforming by the renewing of our minds. There's always this transformation happening in us. And I'll explain this in just a moment. Sacrifice. There's empowerment, but by the Holy Spirit. It's not a Grant Cardone empowerment. This is a Holy Spirit empowerment. It's different from a, a secular, motivational, enthusiastic conversation. This is a mountain moving empowerment. It's different. Covenant relationship, both corporately and also intimately. And then the last one, service and worship. Service and worship is part of our consecration living. If you've not gone to Hope Pantry, I will make this commercial really quick. Please come to Hope Pantry if you can and help. We're getting record numbers. It's amazing. It's amazing. Let me talk to you really quick about consecration. And I want to use the scripture for this. Tim, if you can put up verse 5 one more time because... It just doesn't tell us to live a life with consecration. It tells us why. It tells us why we should live this way. It says consecrate yourself. It's not just this arbitrary, random mandate that God chooses to do to see how well you do it, pass or fail. Consecration has a benefit. And this is the benefit. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Consecration brings wonders amongst you you see and you're like well that's that's fine and dandy well the problem with this is is that while they were slaves in Egypt for 400 years they were both consecrated and they saw miracles as slaves when they go into the desert they're still complaining but they're consecrated and they still see wonders the problem, again, with those that go into the promised land is that they stop consecrating themselves, expecting to see wonders. 
let me help you with this perspective really quick, please. I want you to, I want you to really grasp this. The, the, the goal, and, and maybe just a few of you will understand this, the goal is not the promised land. The goal is not the promised land. The goal is the wonders in the promised land. What good is the promised land without wonders? You guys, what good is having service without presence? What good is, again, hear, hear carefully. What good is the promised land? Because see, see, in, the, in slavery and in the desert, we're consecrated. God, take me out. We're consecrated. We have this holy living. We are, we are set apart. We're living holy. We're transformational. We have this sacrificial living. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit. We have covenant relationship, and we have this service and worship. While we are slaves and while we are in the desert, we have consecration, and we see wonders. I see, but then when we get into the promised land, we stop the consecration because we believe that the wonder is the promised land. The wonder has never been the promised land. The wonder is who is in the promised land. The promises, the promises that God gives us, my wonderful people, what God is about to do with this house. I'm not preaching to another church. I'm preaching here today. I'm giving you a prophetic word from the Lord. This is what the Lord put in my heart for this house. What you've been praying for is coming. But when it comes, but when it comes, be careful that you don't lose sight that, that the goal was always big building. No, the goal's never been big building. The goal has always been his presence in the big building consecration for signs and wonders and miracles and healings and, and people growing legs and people being healed from cancer and AIDS leaving bodies and people that have been sick and dead resurrecting and more mission trips. We want to see wonders. We don't just want to see some things. We want to see a building. We don't want to see a building. We want to see wonders outside. I remember that there was a church that I went to that they were a very modest church, about maybe 200, 200 number church. And they were in this place, and I'm, I'm telling you that every time you would go in there, it was like this Holy Spirit anointed service. Sometimes, I, you know, they would invite me to preach. And I was like, I don't know if I should be preaching here. This is just like way too spiritual for me. It was just powerful, powerful. And then they bought this new building a couple blocks away. And the building was bigger. The altar was bigger. The seating was bigger. The technology was insane at the time. And when you went in there, there was no presence. There was no presence. And everyone had the same language in the old building. In the old building. Oh, no, you guys remember the, remember Little Hope? Remember, remember the little building? And Dave would stand up and Dave would start to sing, right? We just want to, we want to sing your name, praise. And, and do, do you remember when Harmony used to sing with them? And do, do you remember that? Do you remember? Yeah, man, those were the. Let me give you, let me give you a reason why that's a dangerous way to live. When we get to the promised land, something happens to Christians. I can't speak about everybody else. Something happens to Christians where we have this mentality of we made it. You guys with me on that, right? Like we, we get what we want, we get what we've been praying for, and all of a sudden we're like, 
We made it. It's easy. It's very easy to identify. Find someone who's bought a car and then three months later it's being repoed. They have the we made it mentality, but they forgot that there's, a, there's sacrifices that got to be made. You got to pay the bill. It's, that is the we made it mentality. They bought a house. They forgot. Like, oh, it's not about we bought it. It's about maintaining it. And now it's in foreclosure. You guys, so, so I want you to think about this, this mentality, and I promise you, I'm, I'm almost done with the introduction. I'll start my sermon in a moment. <laughs> I feel Mike looking at me like, right, it's like right through my soul. <clears throat> we have this mentality. I'm going to give you this, this book that I read. <clears throat> it is not a good book. I'm just going to put it out there. It's not a book that you have to read. Like, you got to read it because it will. No, it's just a book that even by its title, it attracted me, and I do what most of us do. I skim read, and when I'm not interested, I put it down. Thank you. I know there's a couple of you guys out there. This is what it was. This is the name of the book. It's called Finite and Infinite Games by Jane Cars. I know. Because I barely understood it, I picked it up. And so I started reading, I started reading, and it's called finite and infinite games. Let me give you what this means. What are finite games? Finite games are games that eventually finish. That's what a finite game is. A game that eventually finishes. What's the definition of this? Really simple. There's a set of rules, there's a group of people, and we agree that we're going to play until we're done. What does done look like? Really simple. Baseball. We're going to play. Thank you very much. We're going to play baseball for nine innings, and at the end of nine innings, whoever has the most runs wins. That is a finite game. You guys with me on that? Chess. Checkers. Those are finite games. Soccer, football. There's an end to it that is defined by a winner and a loser. Infinite games are defined this way. There's no necessary, there's no fixed rules behind it. It can be an ongoing game. For example, tag. There's no, right, there's no winners. There's no losers. There's just people that are it and people that are not it. That's it. Freeze tag. Freeze tag's very simple. I tag you, you are frozen until someone else tags you. When does that game end? Never. Monopoly, the great debate is Monopoly, right. When does Monopoly end? Never, it never ends. It keeps going and divides the family. Okay? It's not a good Christmas game. Do not fall into that. Finite games have rules and have a definite winner. At the end of a finite game, at the end of baseball, there is one person that says, we did it. We made it. See, and a lot of Christians, we play this game. The we made it game. The we won here on earth game. And if you go into the promised land, the promised land is not the we made it, we won. 
Our walk with Christ, and hear me, our walk with Christ is an infinite walk into the day of Jesus Christ. So if you go into that, if you go into that place, if you go into that promise, it will never be, we made it. It will always be, what's next? Always. Let me give you the last one. I'm going to ask my brother Dave. Come on up, brother. I'm going to wrap this up. If I, don't hear, if I don't see Dave, I'll keep going. I mean it, like for real, like I'll keep going. I want you to, I want you to really, really consider this. Because the Lord's already spoken to us about two really simple concepts. Really simple concepts. Concept number one, before you go into the promised land, let there be distance. Please let there be distance. Do not let familiarity breed contempt. Do not allow your familiarness with the Holy Spirit here in this place right now become this relationship with the Holy Spirit where he is no longer needed because now we know what it takes. We need him now. We need him then. The second one that we spoke about. Consecrate yourself. Once you get into the promised land, it doesn't mean there's no more consecration. On the contrary, consecrate yourself some more. Consecrate yourself some more. For what? So that we can see the signs and wonders inside of the promised land. I promise you, I promise you, you will get bored of the gospel if you do not see the hand, the signs, the wonders of the Messiah. You need it. We need it. These signs will follow those that believe, not those that are contemptuous. And the last one, pass before the people. Pass before the people. Let's go to Joshua chapter 3, verse 6. Just really quick. I'll, I'll, we'll start closing up. And Joshua says to the priests, take the Ark of the Covenant and passed before the people. So they took the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. You know what I love about this verse? What I love about this verse is that he's not making this uber spiritual. He's, he's giving very, very simple concepts. He's saying, hey, you know what? I, I need you, before you go into that promised land, I need you to take the Ark of the Covenant before the people, but I want them to see it also. I want them to see that what you've been able to accomplish is not because of how many people you have. What you've been able to accomplish is because of the Ark of the Covenant. It's because of the presence of God. And I don't want you to keep it to yourself. I want you to share it with your community. I want you to share it with those that are looking, with those that are watching. I want them to know that in you lives the Holy Spirit. Where do you go? I'm, I'm from hope. It is this message that says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a message that simply says, if we've been able to accomplish this, it's not because Pastor Mike, God bless Mike. It's not because Pastor Mike has been in charge and Mike, has, no, no, no. It's because Mike has carried the presence before the people. The task and the charge is, you must too. 
See, before they went into the desert, there was one man that carried a rod that had all these, these spiritual and symbolic meanings. And was it the rod of Aaron? Was it the rod of Moses? And, and nobody cares. The truth of the matter is, it does, it, this dying dead rod was starting to bud. And that's and it was symbolic for, for power, for, for, for revival. In this rod, in this rod, the shepherds would write the promises on the rod. And as they would write the promises God gave them while they, were, while they were pastoring sheep, they would just start writing, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then the rod is being lifted up and the waters are being separate. See, but that's not the case now. We went through that already. That's a reminder that in the desert, the Lord is with us. That's a reminder that in the desert, even what looks dry will bud. That's a reminder that even in the desert, you must remember the promises you wrote on that rod. What did God say? What did he say? See, but now, going into the promised land, it's a little bit more than just a promise. Now, going into the promised land, it's a little bit more than just something you wrote down. Now, it is a group of people who are carrying the presence of God that are provoking waters to move, walls to fall, kings to run, and places to capture. It is only by the presence of God. No more rod. No more promises that we speak, we hear, we confess. No, 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 no. Now it's the presence of God. It's the presence. God is telling his people, when you get in there, do me a favor. Tell them that you carry something as a people that is greater than you. You carry something that is greater than a land. You carry something that's greater than a culture. You carry something that is eternal. Oh, man. This is amazing. This is amazing because God is, God is like, hey, listen, you, you want promise? I'll give you promise. And this, by the way, is the encounter God is giving hope today about what is coming. I'm not here to tell you you need to hope that it's coming. No, no, no. I'm here to tell you, ready or not, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. And it's not coming for those who doubted. No. It's not coming for those who left. No. It's coming because God wills it. God chooses it. God wants it. It is God's will for this to happen. But there is there there are rules to blessings. Oh yeah, there are rules to blessings. You want the car? There are rules to the car. Oh, you want a house? There are rules to owning a house. Oh, you want a church? There's rules to this. You want to go into the promised land? Well, there's an encounter before the promise. And God is saying to this church today, I need you to remember to keep your distance and never believe for one single moment that we are equal to him. We are not. We are not. The second thing God is saying, he's like, hey, listen, I want you to consecrate yourself. Consecrate doesn't mean, you, you, I, I, cannot, I can't fellowship with you. No, 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 no. Co- consecrate means that if you and I are in the same place, it rains in that place, but you get wet and I don't get wet. A separation is consecration. It's different styles of living. 
The Bible says in the book of Corinthians, it says that the bad company corrupts good character. Believe it or not, and it is not you that gives yourself good character. It is the Holy Spirit that gives you the character you should have. So if God is saying that company corrupts what the Holy Spirit has put in you, guard what the Holy Spirit has put in you. Consecrate yourself. Separate yourself. And the last one. He's like, hey, I make you responsible for showing the people that what you've gained and what you've obtained is not because you gained it, because you've obtained it, because we have a pantry, because we have an amazing sound system, because we have anointed worshipers, because we have a maestro in sermon exposition. No, this is not about that. This is God's presence has always been before us. That's it. And when we get there, we must show the people that we did it because of him. And we must show the people that we carry that very presence. I've always, I've always stood in wonder at how God says there has to be four men that carry the presence. God never allowed one man to carry it. Never allowed one man to carry it. He always intended for a people to carry the presence so that the people can see the other people carrying presence. It is our responsibility to carry this presence before him.